Welcome to the Blooming League of Original Podcast. G'day and welcome to the delightfully shit world of Fresh and Treasure, the Torture Chamber musical comedy podcast, which tackles common music opinions one dumb Twitter post at a time. And speaking of dumb twit, I'm Aaron, and I'm joined as usual by the man who 9 out of 10 health experts recommend, but if pain persists, please see your doctor. It's Matt the Quizmaster. How's it going? Hello, hello, hello. Yeah, great. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, if the pain persists, see your doctor. Yep, that's it. And... All right, so like we did with Spencer and Jonathan, I've just got five little questions so our audience can get to know you now in your third or fourth episode. Excellent. I love that. All right, so first one, what what was your first professional gig? My first professional gig was performing as a reluctant Angel Gabriel in The Butterfinger's Angel, which has a very long title. It's The Butterfinger's Angel, Mary and Joseph, Herod the Nut in the Slaughter of Twelve, Christmas Carols in a Pear Tree. I think it was written by William Gibson, who wrote The Miracle Worker, but I can't remember. It was a three-person Christmas mini tour in New York City and surrounds when I was 18 years old when I first moved to New York. And you still remember that title? I don't even remember what I had for breakfast today. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a cancer. I remember everything. Memory of an elephant. Who would be in your ultimate VH1 Divas Live lineup? Wow. Uh, Divas Live. Hmm. Just going to go for it. We're going to put Alanis Morissette in there. Wow. Yeah. Johnny Mitchell, Whitney Houston. Correct answer. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, so Madonna, because she's amazing and she's been around for ever and ever and ever, and I loved her for a long time. And uh, Jennifer Lopez, J-Lo. Yeah. How can you go past that? Uh, okay, so what would be in your ultimate movie marathon? So your three movies, and what would be the snacks that you bring? Ultimate movie marathon. Uh, well, we'll watch The Wizard of Oz. Yeah, and yeah. our snacks can be peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Look at that. Look what I'm reading <laughs> at the moment. The wonderful Wizard of Oz. And I'm up to page 34 or something like that. Yeah. I, I have a lot of opinions. It's like the 10th time I've read it, but I have a lot of opinions. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> and so that is a musical. So I'm going to put another musical in there. So um, I'll yeah. put in all that jazz. And my snacks are going to be psychedelic drugs. No, I'm kidding. Ha ha ha. No, my snacks will be potato chips. Why not? I'm just going to be sitting there going, oh, yeah, I used to be a dancer. <laughs> I remember what that was like. Yeah. But now I sit on the couch and eat potato chips. And my third one, and this is, and you're going to be like, say what? But my third one is Light Between Two Oceans, um, which is an Australian film that has Michael Fassbender and the actress that was in um, Ex Machina. And I just love it. Uh, Alicia Vikander. Yeah. Or Alicia. Alicia. Yeah. I can't look away from that film. Yeah. And that's going to be a big tub of ice cream because I always have a good cry when I watch that one. All right. What have been your top five gigs thus far? My goodness. Top five gigs thus far. I was in the final Broadway tour of A Chorus Line before the revival. So I was in the 97, 98 US tour of A Chorus Line. So it had been touring consecutively since it finished on Broadway in the 90s, in 1990. So that was definitely a big one. Uh, my next one would be being in the original cast of The Producers, Mel Brooks, The Producers here in Australia. There were two Americans in it, but we were both living in Australia at the time and we were both 
permanent residence in Australia. So that would definitely be it. And that was to get to work with Susan Stroman. I mean, hello. And Mel Brooks, hello. Um, so then we'll move on to television. So I played um, Captain Cook in a TV series called Captain Cook Obsession Discovery, which was a tri-production between Australia, New Zealand, and Canada. And you can still watch that on TV in Canada, well, on their YouTube channel uh, for the National Broadcaster. I'm going to just throw in a random, um, I did Hello Again by Michael John Lacusa, which is a beautiful little show. And I love Michael John's music. And so Hello Again was one of my favorite things I've ever done as an actor. And and I'm in a film that will be coming out later this year, hopefully across streaming platforms across the world, hopefully. It's called yeah. Heart of the Man. And it's definitely, it's an Aussie independent film. And it will definitely be coming out in Australia at the end of the year. And hopefully it's going to make its way across the pond to America and everywhere else in the world. Finally, what would be in your ultimate Rockstar Rider? I was thinking about this the other day and I had something really, really good. And now what was it? Oh, crikey. Oh. My ultimate rock star rider, I am going to have champagne on ice served by the band Menudo. Oh, wow. Ricky Martin and friends. A popular band from, yes, I, back I in the who, day. I know yes. who Ricky Martin is. Thank you very much. Goodness <laughs> <laughs> gracious me. I'm offended that you would even question. Okay. So I'll clarify this rock star rider. It is going to be nothing but champagne. what's the most expensive champagne you can think of? What's the most expensive? I don't know. I don't drink that. Dom Perignon champagne on ice served by the members of Menudo in Speedos. Cool. Uh, but you are our quiz master, so here's a trivia question for you. All right. Guess what? What? Uh, did, uh, uh, tell me what, Aaron. Oh, you just ruined it. Guess what? Just say what. What? Correct. Because we have another Aussie diva in our urban display studio today, and after claiming that he wasn't worthy to stand among our illustrious guests, I suggest he sits down because it's time to school a boss on his own career. Let's start it like any other, swallowing a drop of Dutch courage with a bunch of rat bags, which helped this skittish scam to sketch out a series or three episodes live from planet Earth with Ben Alton. Oh, you're skitting me. I love that guy. Plus the delightfully shit world of, oh, didn't I do that one? I don't know, but this delicious dude did done a decadent deluge of dramatic, delightful and deplorable dramatis personae and delivered his dashingly debonair dexterity and a dollop of devilishness by diving into some dreamy Dundee with Mr. Dundee, then sexercise with guys and dolls on a Sunday in the park, oh, with George, Penelope and Spencer. Hey, I know him. Wait, are you trying to poach my co-host? Well, you wouldn't be the first. And that's the thing about today's chosen mensical. They'd rather maim you, leave you broken, those savages. Dear world, when will a super girly fat pig give me company and sugar? I'm so lonely. So merrily we roll along at midnight, heading north by northwest like a prudent man with an allergy problem and an imprudent many more stage appearances, thus proving that this bubbling brooks has that certain je ne sais quoi. So Jenna say a huge local g'day and a long time to this affable artiste who isn't a triple threat, he's an octuple threat, highlighting highly regarded skills in acting, singing, dancing, hosting, improv, voice acting, producing, writing, directing, plus he's a total hunk, which by my maths makes him a decouple threat and our very first lobster. So take a minute to help me welcome to the torture chamber this fully conscious decoupling and co-founder of Lab Kelpie, or Depupling, as the lights go down and the big screen comes to 
life, it's called The Magic of This Multi-Talented Country Boy Who Has Had a Magnormous Career On Our Screens In Hit Shows Such As Blue Healers Neighbours Rake Picnic at Hanging Rock Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries The Leftovers Tripping Over And more So if there are any questions for Ben Wait till the end Because there are no winners and losers here Only losers on the mint So get ace Because the sumo mouse Has been flea bitten By Peabody And Mr. Sherman Who is the Egeo man But I am the walrus Cuckoo Harajuku And he is the reason For the season But only because nothing rhymes with episode. Wait, he's the latest victim for the picking, so put your hands together for the scrum dillyumptious Mr. Lyle Brooks. Yay! <laughs> and I'm gonna die. Again. I had to mute myself because I was laughing so hard at that. Oh no! And I started counting all like the references you made to my CV and there was like, I, I lost count at about 33. <laughs> has, any other, has any other guests counted? Uh, no, no, but they quite often don't laugh and that just hurts my ego because I'm like because I can oh. hear it. I can hear that there is no laughter and I'm like shaking like is, is this funny is this going well is this oh my god what's happening here and i'm trying to do that while thinking and freaking out but anyways i'm glad you liked it it was brilliant i want that to be my wikipedia entry thank you cheers yes awesome that's that's new i haven't had that before i've, I've been plaqued on people's walls in people's bios in their programs and now i please someone out there put that on wikipedia Put it in the wiki. Yes. It has been a long time since we saw each other last. I know. Because for our listeners at home, Lyle and I had worked on the Magnormous Trivia Nights. Magnormous being Aaron Joyner, who popped up in the Jane Badler episode to surprise Jane. Which totally blew her away because he popped up without his name showing and without his camera on. So she's like, who the hell is this voice suddenly out of nowhere? And I'm just like, guess what, Jane? Perfect. But yes, anyways, you were the host then. Now I'm the host and payback's a bitch. But anyway, <laughs> no. uh, okay. This uh, I'll I'll tell the listeners. This is very very embarrassing, Lyle. You probably won't remember it. The second time we did the show together, because I had watched you the first time, and you you know very handsome and very funny. The second time again, very handsome and very funny. No one told me you're in a relationship, so I innocently went to give you my number. You remember it, do you? Yes, I do. I do now. Yeah. Yes. And I walked down the stairs, not knowing where I was going. We were at at some place and I walk in there and Lyle was standing there in his jocks. Nothing else. (laughs) And I'm there giving him my number and I'm like, oh shit, do I go? Do I stay? What do I do? And you're like, hi. And I'm like, hi. And I'm like, here's my number. And I died. I like literally (laughs) threw myself in front of a tram. So this is my ghost sitting here. I didn't know if I should bring this up, but I thought, why not? I was hoping you'd tuck it into my panties, but you never did. So (laughs) I was going to say, there's no pockets there. You just have to come up with a way. Far too shy. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you, you can see me now, though. You probably dodged a bullet. You don't want to see me in my undies now. It's pretty gross. Oh No, well, you, you, you no. did do that on television on, on the Ben Alton show. So oh, yes, yes, we did. About 12 people saw it, I believe. <laughs> Thank God. That was 11 too many. <laughs> yeah, anyways, we won't go there because Ben Alton is a legend and that is a, uh, a sad time in Australian television because we don't have much in the waves of live sketch TV. Well, we haven't really had it at all and that was a, a bold attempt it was an attempt was made it, we just uh it was of that time when we just weren't gonna support it because i think there were a few weren't there in about 10 years we had was let loose live well, obviously live i think that lasted maybe three episodes yeah yeah we don't do sketch comedy very well in australia anymore mm-hmm. there's a new one yeah yeah so Ginny gay on something yeah well fingers crossed i mean we deserve to have it i love it yeah and and think of how popular like fast forward was and then full frontal it's a bit before your time matt which is funny because you are older than me. But in terms <laughs> of living in the country. Yes, 
I know them. Okay, I know them. That's all right then. And, and we can't forget Comedy Inc., which I made a guest appearance on the same, uh, yeah, with Octavia Baron Martin and a bunch of other music theater people all. We're on the same episode. No way. And Katrina, of course, Katrina oh, Retallick. So, mm. Yeah. And I was on the Eric show. Remember Eric Banner had one season of a sketch show he did? Yeah. I was in that in, when I was 13 years old. Uh, in Yeah, it was 1998. And there was like a whole big parade thing in a street. We like had the camera on us. So we had to be like, go Eric and stuff. And then they cut <laughs> out the sketch oh. and just had snippets of it in the end credits. So technically it counts. That is on my resume and on my IMDb. And you want to fight me on it, bitches. I will take you on. That is Eric Banner for crying out loud. Uh, but anyways, we'll move on. Are you excited that the footy is starting back up? Every time you do a show, I see you in a bloody footy shirt, it seems. I know. Oh God, I don't know what the first one was, but I'm always, I'm always given roles that I'm just that are not me. I've done Neighbours twice now, and one of them was a footy coach. Yeah, as an AFL coach. Yeah, I remember walking into the the writers' room. I think I had to go there for a wardrobe fitting or something at, at Vermont wherever it's filmed. And I walked into the writers' room and said, "Hi, um, I've been cast as a footy coach. Please do not make me do anything football related. Don't throw a ball at me. Don't make me kick anything. Give me a clipboard, and I'll walk around shouting at people." So that's what they did. Yeah, that's all I had to do in the end. Yeah, and then the second time I went back, they cast me as a hot air balloon operator because. AFL coach wasn't quite out of my room. Oh, well, that's on your skill set. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so lucky they were cancelled because I don't know what, what would be next. Yeah. Oh, no, they're coming back. Oh, they are too. Which I think is good. Yeah. I think we need it. I think we need a, a stable, long-running drama show in Melbourne. It's not Home and Away in Sydney. It's the soap opera we deserve. Exactly. Yeah. I know it's like, it's not the best or anything like that. And if you ask me, we should bring Breakers back from like 98, 99. I'll stop it. I love that show. Or Passions, NBC. Bring back Passions. I used to watch that. How good was Passions? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, they're, they're all something to uh, keep your mind busy or dull for a, <laughs> a little amount of time. Oh, it was, it was perfect trash, wasn't it? That's it. Uh, but anyways, okay, speaking of bogans, <laughs> we're going to move on to the medal. Lyle, <laughs> if you could pick your ultimate rock star rider, what would you put in there? Like crazy over the top. Oh, look, I'm, I'm not very rock star. I'd probably just be happy with a bag of Sandboys and and a, and a Pepsi. Um, no, 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 <laughs> no, not good enough. I put my foot down. I put my foot down every time people said water, bottled water. I'm like, nah, man, I'm so over the water. I want crazy. I want like. It's still not crazy, and it's still no rock star. But uh, how about a bottle of Cointreau? Um, is it okay? What about a a big? oversized glass of it with big swirly straws. Oh, no, let, let me finish. I meant a bottle of Cointreau in a bouncy castle. There we go. Yeah, with a bunch of um, uh, manpower models in mankinis oiled up, bouncing around. Is that rock star enough? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. I like that. <laughs> Slightly enticing. Anyways, we'll move on. <laughs> Have you had much experience with metal? Heavy metal, glam metal, thrash metal, death metal? I haven't. I've got a pretty eclectic taste but i don't really follow anything too hard like you know when when spotify or apple music gives you those recommended playlists and they try and put together a playlist of all the things you like mine are just so confused there's you know there's white noise rain and there's music theater and there's a bit of spoken word there might be a bit of aussie hip-hop in there it's just all over the place and i can't listen to it because i can't listen to a, a list of music that's like that but um i have been known to duck into certain things less so metal though i will say i'm not not a big um metal head at all 
Yeah, I don't blame you. <laughs> I got excited then when you said rain, because I have like a, a six-hour playlist of just thunderstorms and rains and stuff that just plays when I sleep. Yeah, I can't sleep in silence anymore. Either that or birds. Oh, birds. No, I don't like birds. They're, they're too distracting for me. I can't sleep. Oh, you live in the country. I know. Yeah, I hear them all day. Yeah. Oh, goodness me. Uh, but anyways, we'll move on, because this week I chose a band that we've already done. I thought we'll cover it again. Man Hour, which is... um. I will say straight up, I picked this because I wanted to pick a metal album that was more gay than the three of us combined. (laughs) We'll find out if I managed to succeed. Uh, But anyways, now, Matt, you go first because you reviewed it this week. I am so glad that you said that um, about a metal album that's gayer than the three of us, because let me tell you, I mean, just from the cover album, uh, the cover art of the album enticed me immediately. Um, If you haven't seen the cover art, it is a shirtless man who's quite ripped in leather pants, holding a ring above his head and a sword from uh, sort of a, hmm, a provocative sort of position. This is the whole thing about me and growing up in the 80s in heavy metal and WWE and not quite realizing I was gay until um, I finished high school. These sorts of images like haunt my head. <laughs> I'm like, this is so exciting, so enticing. I don't like the music, but I like these images. So that was uh, my first sort of feeling was, wow, what is this magical, magical realm of metal? And then, of course, I had to poll all of my friends and say, do you know Man of War? Have you heard of them? And nobody really had, which is interesting because by 1988, when Kings of Metal came out, they had already recorded six albums. Mm -hmm. So then I had to do some research myself. And of course, like I grew up in Massachusetts and then I was in New York, you know, and these all seem to be a bunch of New York guys who still trying to tell if they were taking the piss or if they are absolutely serious with their music. And you will find that out when you get to track number four, which is Sting of the Bumblebee, which is Flight of the Bumblebee, expertly played on the guitar. So I go into the things sort of my musical theater head on. And the very first track starts with the revving of a motorcycle. And there's like a click. And I was like, oh, click. And I thought, oh, it's like an old time movie reel. They're going to start this old movie. And then I said, no, this is actually a hypermasculine celebration of manhood and motorcycles. It's man hour. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it's a, it's a very masculine um, sort of album but again uh so wheels of fire and i don't know if i've ever heard it before i mean 1988 i grew up you know i was in high school in the 80s there was lots of heavy metal and thrash rock going around my high school so i must have known it and actually once i started hearing it i thought i think i do recognize this song Um, (laughs) and the shredding vocals and i was banging my head by the second song but then i went to the bathroom and came back and was like wait a minute am i listening to the same album because by the time we get to our third song we have absolutely shifted gears and so this is a bit confusing for me and it happened a couple of times during this album which then made me think it's sort of like they were on their sixth album and maybe they were like you know there are zero f's giving i'm just gonna throw everything at the wall and see which spaghetti sticks <laughs> so sorry man of war if you felt that you had a through line for this album because for me i was terribly confused um about halfway through although again as everyone knows i'm a big fan of diction and the great diction was there in yep. heart of steel stand and fight i knew you were gonna comment on that i knew it i said to myself matt is gonna comment on this diction after the last episode yeah go i was so happy 
so happy um, <laughs> as a teacher. And of course, you can sing along and stand and fight. Um, so Heart of Steel, you know, even though I felt like I was very confused and I had started listening to another album, um, then it sort of came back in. Of course, I've already talked about our Sting of the Butterfly and uh, Ross the Boss Friedman. I mean, come on. The, the picking on the um, guitar, unbelievable. <laughs> Apparently, he left the band after this album and went back to the punk band, The Predators, I think, if I've got that right which was interesting but again the lead singer who's eric adams who was named after his children's names eric and adam that's his stage name he says that a lot of the musicians have come back and played on the album since then uh, which brings us to the point that did you know that this album was redone about 20 years later they sort of redid this album as well no i didn't know that yes they did they did because when you get further into the album the next to last track is like this grandfather telling a story to his child yeah. so again i'm like what is going on here it this is when the album becomes like lord of the rings meets dungeons and dragons meets the never-ending story or perhaps the princess bride yes but when they went back and re-recorded it so it was just this random guy from the birmingham men's choir who called himself um arthur you know like king arthur arthur um i can't pendagross or whatever and then his actual name um but then brian blessed actually re-recorded it when they went back and revisited this album afterwards so again so this has led me to understand that man of war even though this album for me there were there was one song that sounded a bit like flash gordon i was like oh they're borrowing from queen oh are they having a go at meatloaf i'm not really sure what's going on here but they do have an absolute fan base across the world particularly in germany as it tends to be sometimes with hard rock and so i was really enjoying it however bom, bom, there is a song called pleasure slave yes <laughs> this starts like love to love your baby by donna summer with the uh uh, uh. and again maybe a little bit of meatloaf you know paradise by the dashboard light so there's like orgasmic sort of thing and i guess maybe the song is about bdsm so perhaps it's not misogynistic but with lyrics like woman be my slave that's your reason to live. I was a little bit conflicted by this point of the yeah, album. Yeah. So therefore, even though I enjoyed those rock vocals, and apparently Eric can sing up to 30 seconds with that high, high scream, which he copied uh, in live performance, which he says that was influenced by Deep Purple. But because of this sort of hyper-masculinity of this, it's kind of really camp, actually. Uh, and then uh, I'm not quite sure if it's misogynistic, but I would have to give it... A two out of five. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, I didn't see that one coming. All yeah, right. no, neither did I. Yes. I enjoyed it, but again, there's no bangers. There's head bangers, but there's no bangers that stick out for me. I couldn't tell you, you know, if, if someone had played the song, I wouldn't have immediately been like, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that one. So, you know, I liked it and I do like metal and I love being challenged to listen to metal through this program. But I'm, mm, I don't know. I was a little bit like, mm, I'm feeling uncomfortable now. <laughs> and so I'm giving it two out of five. For the content, for the musicality, much higher. Uh, okay, well, um, just on Pleasure Slave, it wasn't written for today's audience. And even being written when it was, I'm pretty certain it's a character from hundreds of years ago. Like, I think that's the vibe. That's what I got from it anyways, that it wasn't necessarily a, you know, an 80s guy picking up a woman on the street it was you know a guy in a medieval village or something like that or a castle or yeah i don't know that's what that's the vibe i got from it you said magical realm that's totally where i was this whole album and i was there for it all the way it was just so gay <laughs> i was there 
Yeah, I mean, you know, this this is like you know, sort of you know, me and sort of trying to match my morals with what I listen to. Yeah, no, I I, I get And that. I understand, I get that. I understand. It's it's a it's play and it's game. Like I said, it's BDSM. Yeah. I'm sex positive, so you know, I'm all for it if it's role play. Yeah. But you know, in the end, I was like, oh, I don't know if I would really want my daughter to be listening to this. Yeah. Well, you're lucky you weren't listening to it on surround sound very loudly, like I do <laughs> with these albums. <laughs> Uh, just quickly before we get onto your thoughts, Lyle, I just want to throw in there that I, I actually loved the the setup of the titles because we went Wheels of Fire, Kings of Metal, Heart of Steel, but then things got a bit sticky in the Kingdom of Come. Anyway. <laughs> oh, stop. Dad, is that you? Oh, sorry, Aaron, this is you. Sorry. <laughs> I've been plotting that joke the whole time. Anyways, okay, so Lyle, yeah. what did you think of this album? Come at me, come at me. I didn't write a big essay, but look, I, yeah, I, I agree. Like, technically, I think it's a really wonderful album, and I didn't expect to like it. I thought, uh, what are they going to throw at me? What shit are they going to make me listen to? But this was, yeah, just really amazing. And I've got to say, I love an album, you know, that, that concept of a full album that's, you know, from which individual singles can be sort of separated, but which on a whole yeah. can feel like it's a package all of its own. And so I loved how each track sort of segued into the next beautifully, whether that was through the tempo or the sound or the theme or or even just sometimes like a deliberate break or silence. It felt like a real journey that it was taking you on. Technically just beautiful. I thought it was really clear, well-mixed, well-mastered album. I agree. I love diction. Uh, that doesn't sound too too diction-y, especially in the metal, metal album. I wouldn't have expected to, to understand as much as I did. I just thought it was just beautifully wrought you know like i felt like there was just this room full of really great fucking musicians crafting deliberately this this beautiful work and it wasn't just you know guitar bass drums vocals keyboard it was like oh, let's bring in some church bells you know why the hell not yeah. you know, they, they they experimented with all these different sounds and instruments but it never felt like they were just throwing shit at a wall it felt like they'd thrown the shit at the wall and these were the turds they scraped off and oh, that's a terrible yeah. analogy because it's making it sound terrible but it's not it's, it's yeah for coming from that sort of music theatre background more I went you know what this could be a music theatre album in some ways a bit, bit thrashy that's what I got yeah but yeah some of the songs are just so well well done and yeah and it also made me think of, of other songs and artists but it never felt derivative um I didn't know. I had. I didn't do any research on the album itself, but knowing that it was, what did you say, nineteen eighty eight? Think so. Yeah, it makes a lot more sense now. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't need bangers necessarily. I just. I really appreciated it for what it was. There's always like even like the most perfect album I reckon always has a song you could probably cut if you had to, and I, I think you're right. I think Pleasure Slave is up there. Like I, I, it's problematic nowadays, but I gave it I gave it some room. Although although you know as as sort of you know like teenage boy sitting in my room, I'm listening to it. My adrenaline would have been rushing from all the from the first two songs, and then I would have like calmed down, and then by the time I would have got to that, I would have been slightly turned on. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I think where it is on the album, even if you hadn't heard these guys before or weren't a fan, even for a teen. The Edge Boy, you know, with his fantasy album. I think by the time you get there, it kind of feels more in context to the rest of it. Yeah. And it kind of almost feels consensual, even if the lyrics are a bit know your place. It never felt misogynistic for me, or, you know, it, it pushed pretty hard. Yeah. There's none of that, you know, be my bitch or anything. You know what it made me think of was that film Secretary. Oh, yeah. Yeah. James Spader and Maggie Gyllenhaal. Yeah. 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 Maybe it's a bit of a leap I had to make in my mind to go, oh, no, she's already consented to this, and this is the song that happens after. <laughs> so maybe I'm just being naive. But again, Again, like if it was a, a lesser quality music, 
you might not forgive it. You might think, oh, this is just a guy getting his misogynistic fantasies out. But it felt like, you know, everything else in the album, especially, felt quite deliberate and well-crafted that I, I gave this one a pass, you know, but not everyone has to. Yeah. They're certainly having fun. I mean, throughout the whole thing, you know, they're talking about wearing jeans and leathers, not crackerjack clothes, which, of course, I had to look that up and be like, I don't really understand what that means. I don't know if you have any opinions on that. That's in the second one, um, Keys of Metal. We wear jeans and leather, not crackerjack clothes. I've heard that as a reference to disco, okay. the colors of disco being like the colors on a crackerjack box. So, I mean, there's definitely like a lot of lay in this. There's a lot of, there's characterization, you know, like, again, it sounds like there's sort of a bunch of family men that just like really rock out when they go into their professional lives. So they put on those characters and have a good time. Yeah. And and I agree with you. I thought I might have been the only one picking this up, but obviously we all did. Just this yeah. idea of it is so masculine. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, be before we get cancelled, you know, masculinity, femininity, entire construct. So whatever. But yeah, the, the way it starts with the, you know, the, the engine noises and, and stuff and all the themes, you know, it's about battle cries and, and power and, and all this sort of stuff. The warrior. Yeah, it's the warrior. And, and the album cover itself, you know, all these world flags that he's standing on with lightning, you know, coming down. Oh, it's, it's just, it's hilarious. It got me thinking about that whole when things are so masculine that they just become kind of ironic and yeah. and camp. Parody. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, and especially when something is made so well, you think, oh yeah, these guys, they know what they're doing. And now that, again, the, now that I know the sort of the 80s that it was made, it's like, oh, that's, you know, the, the logical end point of that extension of, you know, something so maskets camp is, you know, hair metal or glam metal or whatever. Right. I guess it was sort of the Twisted Sister and some of those other sort of like highly theatrical metal bands in the 80s, yeah? Yeah, yeah exactly. And it got me thinking of that, the idea of the horseshoe that people say talk about in politics, how the far right and the far left are actually quite close if they're on either end of that horseshoe idea. It got me thinking about, is there something similar with like masculinity and femininity? Like by the time it gets to the very ends of the horseshoe, <laughs> are they pretty close together, to be honest? You know, they, you see like, especially with like hair metal and stuff, these guys are running around with massive hair and, and skin tight lycra and the things and yeah, and poncing around the stage. And like, you know, these guys are getting a lot of puss. Like they're not doing it because they're, they're queer. They're doing it <laughs> as a pickup thing. I mean, they made me think of like, it's like the animal king and they're, they're peacocks. They're those, you know, funny little birds from Papua New Guinea who dance around and, and the camper they are, the more likely they are to breed. So yeah, I sort of went down this rabbit hole of, of thinking about that sort of thing and it made me delighted, I'll be honest with you. Oh, cool. I like that. Um, now, all their album covers are very similar themed in terms of shirtless men, cod pieces, Spartans yeah. and warriors and stuff like that. And there is not a single big boobied lady on any of them. Yeah, good point. Which would be a big signaling factor in misogyny, I think. Yeah when it comes to exploiting women. Yes. They're very much exploiting men on their covers. Very much so with a lot of these pictures. Like the first one we did was picked because of the cod pieces they were wearing in it. And I'm like, oh, geez, thanks, guys. Fuck you too. Uh, anyways, but... The bassist who's the composer is also the um, creator of the cover art, I believe. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, hello. Uh, yeah. I, I Look, I loved it. I thought it was ballsy. Like to go from as we say, a rocking album to then stand and fight, like this real daggy, throw your fists in the air, let's jump on a horse and ride off in the sunset with our long Fabio hair glowing 
you know that 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 sort of imagery. Yeah, Vikings on the way to Valhalla. Yeah, yeah, with a yeah, like the big male choruses too, like almost that Gregorian sound. Yeah, which is a very Pet Shop Boys in a way too. <laughs> but then to go into a whole spoken word, right? That takes a lot of balls because you're making this album for people who like to stand there and go like this, and that's not a settled thing to do. Listening to a story is a settled thing to do. You do that at the theater, at a rock show, you headbang and you're moving around and bumping into each other and stuff like that. So to take down the pace so remarkably to the point of talking like that, that takes a hell of a lot of balls. I think um, I gave it four stars. So I, I kind of really dug this cause it was so cheesy and cheeky. And as we say, masculine and yeah, there is a sort of that flavor of toxic masculinity in there, but I also saw it as acidic cause it was cheeky. I didn't see it as toxic being so hateful or domineering or anything because it's so daggy and so gay and camp that it balances itself out and creates an acidic glittery feel yeah more than making me feel sleazy or sleazed on i get that my lower score also just reflects that there's not you know there's no um sweet child of mine or there's no song that like you know is for the ages that can be that the single there's no single that's for the ages maybe the whole album is for the ages but um good point you know what you made me think of then aaron was um yeah i went to the acdc concert a couple of years ago with my dad <laughs> and oh, wow. you know the whole thing of, and just you know talking about the, the buxom women on the covers of albums you know that's their whole thing too they had this inflatable woman with big knockers and yeah, the yeah. cameras would be would be trying to find women in the crowd who would then have to flash their boobs and i could just imagine if that sort of thing they tried to do that at a man of war concert these guys would go oh stop 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 no 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 no. we don't do that here <laughs> please respect women yeah they'd, they'd be showing the man that's what they'd be doing they'd be exploiting yeah, the men right. showing the pecs that's it <laughs> show us your pecs and then they'd be jumping and then those men would go and jump up and down on on the bouncy castle in your that's rockstar right. rider yeah mm-hmm. thank you <laughs> oh and uh, yeah i i I'd give it four out of five too. I'd give it four stars. Yeah. And just to throw before you say that I'm gonna throw in there. And while they're bouncing on the castle, I'm gonna go home alone because I'm single. Anyways. Oh they had lots of violins on the album. Maybe you could borrow a few of those for your sad, sad story. I know. Tiny <laughs> violins. So we're sticking to that score, Lyle. Your score? Yeah, I, I'd also give it four stars. Yep. Three and a half and I'm rounding up. Oh wow. Well, it looks like man hour is up. Oh. And we're going to go to an ad break. G'day listeners, Aaron here. We thought we'd better send a spy to Broadway to check out the shows for us. So here for today's review is our Broadway spy, Spencer. This week we're talking about Some Like It Hot. Some Like It Hot is a musical based off of the film with music by Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman and a book by Matthew Lopez and Amber Ruffin. If you want to see a big Broadway classic musical, this is the one with direction and choreography by the wonderful Casey Nicola. There's nothing like a Casey Nicola tap number. Some of the greatest scene direction that I've ever seen on Broadway. There's this really, really cool chase scene in the second act. That's one of the coolest things I've ever seen on a Broadway stage. This show is big and Broadway and brassy and jazzy with performances by Christian Borle, Jay Harrison Gee, Adriana Hicks, and Kevin Del Aguila as the lead roles. They are just having the time of their lives in this show. Is this show for tourists or purists? I think this is a show for tourists. It is a wonderfully fun show, but that's just it. It is fun. It is dance. It is big. It is brassy. And it is hot. So go see Some Like It Hot at the Schubert Theater. 
All right, we're back with Thrush and Treasure. I'm Aaron, that's Matt, and we are joined by incomparable star of Aussie stage and screen, Lyle Brooks, who will be soon coming up. I know he's denying that. Soon coming up in a leading role in a major Australian premiere at the Comedy Theatre. Not at Chapel of Chapel, Lyle. You're not at Gasworks <laughs> this time, mate. You're at the Comedy mm. Theatre in a big major premiere. I said to you, I, I picked you to come on this show because you've earned it. Oh. And looking at your career, like, I'm flabbergasted. So I'm so proud watching you blossom over the years, even though we barely know each other. I did see you in your jocks when I gave you my number. <laughs> so... That's lovely. I'm, I'm waiting for the sting. Oh, no, there's no. no. thanks. <laughs> I'm not that mean. Goodness gracious. You man. are, and you know you are, and so I'm waiting <laughs> for it. When is his turn? <laughs> well, I, I do have more questions about Midnight coming up. Um, before we move on, can you just tell our listeners a little bit about Lab Kelpie, which I mentioned in your introduction? Oh, yes. Yeah, sure. Uh, so it's it's not musical. Uh, it's a theatre company I started about 10 years ago with my partner, and it's focused on new Australian writing, whatever that looks like. So we sort of support playwrights to, you know, develop their work, to stage it, to tour it, to publish it. So we've got a little publishing arm as well. Uh, and I also do a bit of school connection work as well. So when we go on tour, we can sort of take the shows, you know, themes, whatever, sort of interact with the community and, and schools. I don't think Australian playwrights get much love in Australia. I mean, Dennis even having to go overseas to, to get that love. Yeah, and I mean, by extension, as, as you know, it's even worse for music theatre. It's so much harder for, you know, music theatre writers to, to get what they need because the resources are so much more. So that's sort of what I was attempting to address when we started the company. And if I'm not wrong, isn't one of them about AFL or the footy? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah well, yes, yes. One of the, uh, We toured it last year, Become the One was a uh, like a hypothetical, uh, you know, closeted footballer story that sort of looked at more more about, you know, what does the partner think? We know there must be some gay footballers out there. Come on. But um, what goes on, you know, behind closed doors there? So I was sort of looking at that and why why they don't maybe come out. Mm. Yeah, more footy. I don't know. <laughs> there you go. Lab Kelpie is obviously comes from puppies. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Usually I use an oversized mug, but I use my Labrador mug today. Oh, look at oh, that. Oh, I love it. Thank you. Oh, bless. When we go on tour, you can always tell who the dog people are. Because some people say, oh, that's like Lab Kelpie Laboratory or something. It's experimental work. Yeah. And then you get the people to know and they say, oh, do you have a Lab Kelpie? They're the best dogs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can stay. You're our friend. Yeah. I learned something new just then. <laughs> <laughs> I was in the experimental like, ooh, laboratory phase. But now I know. Now I know. <laughs> <laughs> I've just added you. You're still my friend though. Oh, thanks, man. Lyle, how do you find the plays that you do for Lab Kelpie? Uh, I mean, we're not prolific by any stretch, but um, often playwrights will come to us and yeah, that really... <laughs> short answer uh, and depending how much we have on and, and, and what we can do yeah so if you if you build it they will come well that's that's the idea yeah in terms of australian work it feels like our industry is putting ourselves second <laughs> yeah okay and it feels like that's putting us second to international yeah you know at the end of the day which i i think is sad especially with musical theater the question here was do you feel this can be the case or this is the case you've just answered it for me so. i think yeah i think it always has felt that way and and you know you two are probably actually more into this can speak better to this than i can but it has felt like that for a long time but i feel like specifically the last couple of years because there was that rise funding from the government mm. and they tended to fund you know big commercial ventures that um that just oversees works and so it does does feel like there's a lot of commercial stuff coming out right now that isn't homegrown um, yeah. midnight is an exception but yeah you're right there are so many other little projects happening that could be big 
I went and saw um, Bearded at Frankston a couple of weeks ago, which was like uh, Nick Waxman was sort of leading that. I think he co-wrote that. Brilliant young cast, you know, great modern queer themes, young characters. It was, and the audience was like on their feet. I'm not the sort of audience member to get on my feet in a show. I hate that Mamma Mia shit, but I was. Next minute, I'm there. I'm standing up. I'm having a bit of a dance, clapping along, thinking, Brooks, what happened to you? It was just that sort of show, you know. And so we are capable of writing some amazing, amazing stuff. Just the resources aren't aren't here and we don't have the right funding models i think to support it but that's that's a whole other combo but yeah in essence i agree yeah well there was a, one of the major opera companies two years in a row have had zero australian works mm. that's just sad it really is mm-hmm. we've only listened to one australian musical so far on this show which was i kind of remember what it was called it was a, a nick and Wright musical about the preachers what's that sunshine miracle city miracle, miracle city, city. yeah I didn't really care for it. Do you think maybe it's because Oz musicals, Australian musicals, we need to find our own identifiable, unique sound that we just haven't found yet? You look at Broadway musicals, right? You can tell a Broadway musical. You can tell a Western musical. Can you? Broadway and West End? Can you these days tell what's what? Oh, I can. Well, Broadway, you can. I can. Mm. Definitely. There's a certain vibe to it, I guess, or a certain sound to it. Yeah. If it's a jukebox musical, it's going to be a West End musical. And Juliet, we will rock you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, true. But there is a, diff- a different sense of humor. Although, I was, you know, speaking of Australian musicals, um, Fangirls. Um, have you listened to Fangirls by Eve Blake? I've been introducing that to my students up here in Mackay at the conservatorium and they love six and they love all this sort of stuff. And I'm like, well, if you love six, then you should probably be listening to Fangirls, which is a sort of modern show. And Eve's done a great job and uh, it had a great Australian cast as a cast recording. Um, I think Sharon, Sharon Miller chips on it, but I'm not sure. Yeah, she is. Yeah. So that's one. That's one that I'm going to really champion for. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm like, I'm not saying that they're not good because some of them have been great. I'm just saying when you lump them all together, there's no identifiable sound that you say that's an Australian musical. You look at an Australian film, you know you're watching an Australian film. Look at Legally Blonde. That is a Hollywood film, but that is an Australian movie. That is an Australian comedy because it's got that vibe, that feeling, that voice. Robert Lickett, because it's got an Australian director, he brought that Australian comedy to it. Cinema, you can see it. Australian TV, I don't know, it's a bit Americanized these days, but you used to be able to, you used to know it was an Australian show. Australian musicals, I don't think we're there. I don't think we're there. Australian rock. You know when Australian rock, when it's on. I was going to say, I've never really thought about the um, this whole idea of the Australian identity in theatre or in music theatre. I don't know. Part of me wants to argue, why would you want to? Yeah, yeah, I get that. Wouldn't you want stuff that is transferable? But I think maybe you're right. Maybe there's... It's a case of are we trying too hard to be like other shows and haven't found yeah. our own voice and maybe that's when we will fit yes. in better to sort of the international canon of music theatre when we sort of go, not you know, it's not flag-waving uh, stylistically no. or anything. It's just what, what what do we do? What What is our Muriel's Wedding, the film, version of a music theatre piece that we make yeah. here? Muriel's Wedding, the musical? Yeah. <laughs> it had ABBA songs in it and the Australiana that we got from it was the over-the-top accents yeah. There wasn't in the original songs that some of them were really great. Again, there's just, you don't listen to that and go straight away. This is an Australian musical. You just know that it's based on an Australian film and it's set in Australia because you hear the accents, but then all of a sudden ABBA's playing. <laughs> what about uh, something like ladies in black? I mean, same creative team. Um, well, in terms of Simon anyway, I haven't heard it. Okay. I haven't, haven't heard it. I and mean, that was all original songs. Eureka was trying to be lame is I saw Eureka. Yeah. And was it not trying to be lame is? Yes, it was. It was um although I can still sing one of the songs, but I I've I've sang it in concert, so I've cheated. <laughs> <laughs> I've cheated. 
I think Fangirls is a really good um, example of great Australian music theatre. And I, I sat in the audience to that and it was on a um, it was on a school matinee as well. So it was just, I don't know, 500 school kids losing their shit at this show. Oh, it was really? amazing. But, I mean, that that itself went through just years and years of development if you listen to, um, to Eve's uh, interviews and things and had the support of um, Australian Theatre for Young People from, from very early on. So it had some sort of money or some institutional money behind it for a long time. Yeah, I don't want to say they got they got lucky because there's no such thing. They made their own luck, but um, they certainly had a really good pathway to where it is now. And it's a shame those pathways don't exist for yeah our other composers and and music theatre writers. Mm. Just, I don't know. I don't get it. He's got heavy. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Thanks, I Aaron. That's all yeah, right. Man. Well, you're the one that started it with your mentioning this stuff before, and I just happened to have follow-up questions <laughs> written without knowing, didn't I? Goodness me. Uh, we'll move on. We'll move on to the musical, because we're going to do one that you actually got nominated for a Green Room Award, which is the Victorian Victorian version of the Tonys. <laughs> Professional uh, theatre, yeah, across dance and circus and music theatre, main stage, etc. Yeah. yeah. So state awards. Yeah, so, and you had done this 20 years ago. Long time. I've seen some things, man. <laughs> okay, so I've reviewed the musical this time because I didn't know it, which is nothing new on this show, apparently. So I'm going to read my review. When I first saw the cover, I thought I was looking in a mirror. Oh, wait, that was Man Hour. Wrong page. <laughs> when I first saw the cover, I realized I've been wearing ties wrong my whole life. So I pressed play and was greeted by a lively small band of maybe three or four musicians playing a little introductory beat as we meet the characters, including Tom, who appears to be a philanthropist, constantly giving <laughs> to other people, giving his wife a positive outlook on life and of her husband. Then we meet Daryl, who is also there. And as the music tells us, he's also a wonderful man. So is that the thing about men? That they're wonderful? Okay. Anyways, the tight-knit group of four to five performers work tightly together with each other, with each of these whimsical and often catchy songs, which are no doubt popular on the cabaret scene, where shows as small as this are able to find an audience in a pool of mega-hits, jukeboxes, and movies-turned-musicals and plays. But here is another show full of gems that allows for intimate, personal, comedic and romantic opportunities to knock their performance out of the park without resorting to tricks, bells or whistles. A simple story and songs to allow a performer to shine. Unlike last week's musical, which I kind of feel could have been a bigger show than what it ultimately is, this one sits nicely in its place which is the thing about many smaller musicals, some feel wasted by being too small. Others, like this, sit nicely. Keep in mind, I have no idea what's going on, but that's the thing about men. They'll leave you confused and blindsided. One star to men. But as for this show, I definitely put it in the category of a performer show, a simple canvas that allows a performer to shine. And you'd want to cast the very best because that's the thing about mini shows. They do leave room for less than stellar performances to stick out in the wrong way. Three and a half stars. And I really loved Because, because I thought that was a really great song for a female in a show that's really about men, where the men, well, I would say shine, but, you know, they're not painted in the best way. <laughs> and I, just if anything, I thought it could have quirked up a little bit. Because I think little shows, they need to have that extra bit of quirk. So that's where it lost a couple of points because I thought it wasn't quite as funny as what I would have liked it to have been. 
but that might be in the performance. I don't know. I have no idea about it. There was no synopsis on Wikipedia, so I don't know what's going on in this show at all. Yeah, I got a, I got a little bit lost while I was listening to this as well because you know they're roommates, and then all of a sudden the ex-wife is coming to the apartment, and then I don't really know what happens. I was like, what, what? So anyway, so hopefully, Lyle, you can fill us in um, some of the bits that we just couldn't quite work out from listening to this uh, cast recording. Oh, I can do my best. Yeah, it is very difficult because there's not yeah. much information out there. Um, if you're just listening to the soundtrack, you wouldn't have a fucking clue what's going on. <laughs> just to throw it, I think that's odd because this is the type of show and the times of story-driven songs that make an album like this really easy to listen to. So this kind of did let itself down in that respect by not being as clear. You'd expect that from, you know, Hello Dolly or, you know, the Pajama Game, older shows where the songs would expand on an idea, an emotion or a moment. They weren't to drive the story. This felt like it was supposed to drive the story, but didn't quite so anyway sorry i just wanted to throw that in there i agree and it's funny that you say that though because i mean some of the songs are they're just narrative vehicles they're they're not stopping and sing what i just said but some of them are some of them are let's do a scene and now let's do a song that says the exact same thing as the scene just did um but yeah most of them especially the very beginning it's it's the opening song it drives the story and introduces us to that to the action of the play but yeah if you, if you do pick it up and just listen to the soundtrack you're probably a bit confused and I mean, of its time, it was pretty great, but does it compare to, you know, the really smart humour now that we have on stage, like in Book of Mormon, for example? No, it doesn't. It just, it, it can't. Um, I mean, I I was really excited to do this piece because um, I don't know whether you remember I Love You, Perfect Now Change. Was... No, thank you. <laughs> I said now change. <laughs> Which, again, of its, of its time, out of its time, it was it was yeah. really great, really funny, and this is very similar. It's even got one of the same cast members in it. But, yeah, it, it certainly doesn't stand up as an absolute laugh riot. I find it really hard listening to this again to to separate my experience working on the play at the time with, yeah. you know, you know, just what what is it as, as a work. I mean, look, honestly, I would give it, I'll give two and a half stars for the work, you know, as it is now, listening to it in 2023. But if you ask me at the time or ask me even now what my experience was, I'd go six stars. You know, it, it was <laughs> just such it was such a joy to work on and such a joy to play all those characters. I, I really loved it. Were you the Irish priest? <laughs> yeah, so, th- so there's three main characters. There's the philandering husband, there's his wife, and then Oh, philandering. Philanthroping, I think you said. Oh, <laughs> that changes the whole story for me. <laughs> he's not a philanthropist; he's a philanderer. Now I know what's going on. He's giving something, but it's not money. Oh <laughs> shit! My bad. And then, then her her lover, who he moves in with, to, you know, to try and break them up. So that's the whole premise, and it's based on an old German film, I think. Yes, a German film, Men. Dory. Something. Oh, we have a clue. Or is that the director? <laughs> no, it's it's Men by a director named Dory Dorrit or something like that. I did look it up. Mm. What a great name, Dory Dorrit. I think that's her name. If not, I apologise to Dory Dorrit, whoever you are. <laughs> anyway, you gotta get the listeners on their toes. Google it. That's it. Yes. Google it, mate. Again, yeah, then there's two other two other actors, male and female performer, who sort of play. They call it the Greek chorus, I think. So just every single other little character that might come into their orbit, with, even if it's for a one line or a few bars of a song. There's even a few songs in there, like the you know the Irish priest. That's that's all he does. He comes in, does that little scene, and goes off. That's a great song. That's a great song. I'm going to steal that and sing it in every audition now. It's basically <laughs> just a confession. He's like, "What did you do? Okay, we'll do all this. Oh God, I need a drink." Yeah, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> there's another song of the the. the 
female Greek chorus, Highway of Your Heart, she's literally a jukebox. There's a jukebox playing in a dive bar. And so the other character, the other actor comes in and sings that, either dressed up as a jukebox or we had um, Nicolette Minster, you know, covered in these LPs. <laughs> there are some really good individual songs, but it's I think it's a matter of that the, what is it, that the pieces don't make the whole or what's that expression? The sum isn't greater. The sum isn't greater. Uh, what is it? The whole isn't greater than the sum of its parts? That yeah. thing. Yeah. Which is a shame, I think, because Joe DiPietro is massively talented he's mm. thank god a lot memphis obviously and did i win the tony oh, no. i don't know we had james monroe Iglehart on the show a couple of weeks ago oh, i i think it might have won yeah it did i don't know uh, i would look again, it up but li- listeners look it up yeah. <laughs> come at us on twitter listeners look it up and tell us on twitter yeah yeah exactly um and i'll ad it right into the episode no i won't <laughs> yeah no there, there are some great individual songs and perfect for cabaret because they're they can be very you know character driven and i think that would be funnier in that setting than what i found them to be here if you will and audition songs as well some great audition songs which i found from the fantastics as well <laughs> no, the fantastics excellent that's what i do hey lyle who else was in the cast with you any but any other well-known um, musical theater yeah nick minster was my sort of um whatever other greek chorus person she was amazing laura fitzpatrick was um was yeah. the wife chris parker was um mm-hmm. the husband i can't remember the character names anymore and liam what's his name i feel really bad that i can't remember his name because he was absolutely phenomenal as the lover hang on let's look it up let's look it up we Do can it. find it on oz stage sophie thomas and was the musical director i can't remember if she was nominated for that or for a previous magnolia show uh and cameron thomas no relation was her offsider so i think it's written for and you can hear it on the recording like you said like a really small handful of musos i think there was just keyboard two strings and reeds i think is in the original recording and so we yeah. just had two pianos so sophie's amazing she reorchestrated the two pianos and then <laughs> and then i had to play sax in one song as well as the other characters was i good no <laughs> oh uh, you're a saxophonist as <laughs> well you're you're what's an 11 that's an undercouple it's an undercouple i did look it up it's an undercouple i wouldn't call it a skill no i wouldn't call it a threat or a skill uh, i sort of honked my way through one of the one of the best songs too so i'm sorry if i ruined it for everybody and so something that you learned specifically for the show or is that something in your bag of tricks well no it, it's a very small leaking bag of tricks i learned it for a couple of years <laughs> and then but i mean i'm not a great musician by any stretch so for this I had, and I think it was written for, say, a tenor sax, and I played alto, so I had to retranspose it for alto. I wasn't great anyway. <laughs> and then the song itself has three key changes in it. It just it killed my head. But we um, we got through it, honked our way through it. And you got nominated for it. And we got nominated. But I feel kind of crappy about it because, as I said, Nicolette and I worked really well together as a pair, as this Greek chorus, and she didn't get a nom, and I was just oh, really? I was kind of shitty about it, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah, we relied so much on each other, and it just felt strange to be, to be um, you know, highlighted above everyone else. I'm sorry to rub it in. <laughs> if I'd known that, I wouldn't have. Uh, I've just sent you both a link to the Oz stage, which yep, will have I- all the credits on there. And shout out, of course, to Aaron Joyner, who was the producer of that production. Yes. Are Magnormous still doing shows now? No. No, I've been on Aaron's back. Yeah. (laughs) I think he's happily moved on. I I invited him onto this show deliberately just to get on his back (laughs) and say, can you get back into fucking theatre for me? Not for me, but Yeah, they wrapped up about 10 years ago, didn't they? It's a real shame, but I understand why. You know, now now that I'm running my own company, I I look back at Aaron and Magnormous and think, yep, I get it, babes. (laughs) I get why. That's it. Liam Peterson was the other actor I couldn't think of. Peterson, thank you. Because I, I have to admit, when I listen back to it now, I go, oh, I'd never paid much attention to that song because I was changing or doing upstaging jokes. I love the 
the Bella that the female has because was really lovely. Yeah, I th I think yeah. that's the big one, the one where she sort yeah. of is, where she sort of is like, oh well, you know, yes, I cheated on you, but you cheated on me, and so you know, yeah. it's, it's it's it yeah, it's a good storytelling song. I love him because he's not you. Yeah, yeah. and on this recording, you know, we have Mark Kudish and Jen Jennifer Simard and some like really classic. You know, again, I was in New York in the eighties, so like these are like some classic people. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, I was instantly delighted to hear uh, the quality of the voices on that recording as well. Well, you can imagine Laura Fitzpatrick just you know tore that song a new arsehole because she's mm. incredible mm -hmm. yes she is my favorite song was always the you will never get into this restaurant which sort of goes into the restaurant scene and that song as well so i had to play this you know little little french puff at the door of the restaurant <laughs> and then going to the oh, hello i'm a server lance and it was just like a real fun transition and two fun scenes to play i'd sort of I'd, I'd disappear behind the table and come back up again with the next prop bit of bit of prop comedy <laughs> it was Ooh, very fun magic as i said in your introduction it's called the magic of this multi-talented artist or whatever i said i don't know i wasn't really <laughs> it then it was by memory <laughs> i don't know <laughs> now i did notice there was one song called me too which made me laugh every time yeah. it came on i don't know why probably because what the show is about i did know for those at home i did know he was a philanderer not a philanthropist it was an attempt at a joke <laughs> which that's why it made me laugh because i knew it was about you know guys cheating and hero you know it's about men full stop and there's a song called me too and i thought that's very ahead of its time <laughs> nothing to do with the me too movement at all <laughs> nothing at all but it was there um <laughs> yeah i, I hey, would... you gotta love you gotta love a musical where in the first song um someone discovers a hickey on you know on somebody else's <laughs> neck that's that's you know uh yeah now i would love to see this but it would ultimately depend on who is in the cast because i wouldn't want a second-rate cast i would want the best of the best. Yeah, I think you would find now you put it on, even though it's a bit dated, you would get some incredible people wanting to be in it. I don't think yeah. you'd have any trouble casting this. Yeah. I mean, I can't think of anybody off the top of my head, but... Biggest and the best. <laughs> yeah. But you're right. It's a small show. You couldn't possibly, you couldn't put this on in a big theatre. This is a real sort of no. little chamber piece. An off-Broadway. It is. Well, yeah, it won, won an award, didn't it? When it first premiered off-Broadway, I think. Yeah. And it I don't know what you'd do with it these days. There's a few little problematic bits to this musical if you did it again today. But I don't, we, oh, yeah, no, I'm sorry. I'm against this whole writing book for the time. No, no, I'm not, not saying rewrite it. I'm just saying you need to be aware. You know, I, I had to play, you know, a, a Mexican cab driver and, you know, a, an Asian delivery driver. It's a bit, well, yeah, uh, okay. the sushi, the sushi bits, now? yes. Yeah, yeah okay. All for one little joke, yeah. Yeah, okay, okay yeah. That, now that I understand, but that's not rewriting, that's in casting, that's not the show itself i don't think yeah or just just not leaning into what now sort of would be approaching yellow face <laughs> you just wouldn't wouldn't do it yeah no oh no definitely not and i say that as someone who was in an all-white production of the king and i when i was like 11 years old and so were you apparently as the famous song goes me too <laughs> yes <laughs> me too me too back in the 90s maybe yes anyways we'll move on because uh, Looks like the thing about men is that they're shit. So we're going to go to an ad break. <laughs> How very feminist of him. G'day listeners, Aaron here. While you're topping up your coffees, did you know that you can support our show and go on a fantastically scary adventure at the same time? Go to www.thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore to grab your copy of the Toniston Tales 
a darkly funny Aussie trilogy about a young boy who rescues injured animals in his spare time, and the roller coaster ride he's taken on by a literal fish out of water. Written by me, the village idiot of Thrash and Treasure, you'll come to love Toniston Turnbull and the dozens of wacky characters that he meets along the way. And here is a sneak peek. After barely three hours of light sleep, Toniston Turnbull slowly opens his eyes, his body feeling heavier than it ever has before. Not from extra weight, from tiredness and stress. Polly sighs in the shadows behind him, the flame of the nearest barbed wire tiki torch tower having died down, but not out, while Toniston napped. Are you awake? Toniston whispers. Oh, how can I sleep in this place? Polly moans, turning onto her side and facing Toniston, who stays on his back, imagining obscure animal-esque shapes in the rusted tin roof above them, shadows faintly formed by the nearest dying torches. We need to work out a way to get out of here, Toniston states the obvious. He whispers, despite the fact the nearest shacks to their own are several metres away, and the occupants presumably asleep, as most prisoners seem to be. How? There's no fence to squeeze through, or even climb, Polly replies, sitting up in bed and then stretching out her sore arms. The hairs stand on end from the slight chill in the air. I don't know, but I think the whole fighting thing is a distraction. You mean, to distract the other prisoners when new ones arrive? No, I, I think that was just bad timing. Didn't you notice? Toniston goes on to explain his theory. That fight happened, everybody gathered around, I didn't see one person who wasn't watching, and then when I vomited, the only gate in this place closed shut. What are you trying to say? I think something happened when everyone's back was turned. Like what? whispers Polly, her voice breaking up in fear. I don't know. That's what we've got to find out. Toniston's brain starts working overtime, but it's strange that nobody seems to want to leave. They seem almost happy. Definitely content. So, when's the next one of those stupid beatdowns? Toniston can't help but think Polly looks tough, almost evil in the shadows as she asks, I don't know, Toniston begins, but both teenagers are distracted by a crumbling noise in the distance. Hopping out of bed, Toniston joins Polly on her own, equally uncomfortable one. Spotting a large, white package hovering close to the cave ceiling, behind it, a shadowy figure. The package is lowered down, causing the teenagers themselves to lower as well, hoping not to be spotted by whom, or what, may be operating this obscure crane. Over a long, slow descent, the package is dropped to the ground. Polly keeps her eyes on it, but Toniston looks up immediately, spotting a large black shadow scurry away to God only knows where. Come, he whispers, as he quietly hops off her bed, slipping into his docks with bare feet. Polly follows his lead, Careful to keep watch on all directions, the teenagers swiftly sneak over to the white package, their hearts beating an almost tribal jam in perfect harmony, and stopping in their tracks as the sudden realisation of what lies before them sinks in. A woman, seemingly in her early twenties, wrapped up in bandages from the neck down. No, not bandages. Is that... spiderweb? Polly asks, completely mortified at the prospect. Grab your copy of The Toniston Tales from thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore today. Hooroo!
Anyways, we're back with Fresh and Treasure. I'm Aaron. That's Matt. Hello. And we are joined by the magical Lyle Brooks. Now, I've just got a few questions on your hopes and dreams for the future. Now, if you could name a theatre after any Aussie performer, who would it be and why is it Aaron Joyner? He'd be on the short list for sure. Uh, is this a, like a music theatre um, theatre or is it just a... Any... Oh, God, I don't know. I, well, I mean, most of them do. I feel like there's, there's a, a long list that would all suit having a theatre. I don't know. Maybe it's because I listened to um to his episode last week, but I'd go Bert Labonte, you know, the Bert Labonte Theatre. Yeah. Ooh, the Labonte <laughs> Theatre. That's a great one. Right? Yeah. It sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> Bert, we're fans. Yes, Bert, please come back on our show because I loved having you on the first time. Yeah, there's some certain names in music theatre or in theatre, you know, like that lend themselves. I mean, Bert Labonte Theatre is great. Bert <laughs> Newton Theatre, I'm not so sure of the Newton Theatre. No, no thanks. I mean, he's he's very worthy, but I, it doesn't have the same je ne sais quoi. <laughs> the Ernie Dingo Playhouse. Oh, that's good. Yes. Uh, that, that's, that could be good. Yes. That could be good. That's, I'd that, like that. As mm. I keep saying. I, I would be very surprised if there wasn't an Uncle Jack Theatre coming up somewhere soon. Yeah, that would be fantastic. Jack Charles mm. something, yeah. If you're talking about someone who deserves a, to be have a theatre named after them. Yeah. Mm. Now, okay, a more fun question now. What? Was the naughtiest you were as a pre-teen, not a teenager onwards, because obviously we're dealing with the law there, but a pre-teen, you were totally innocent. God, I don't know. He <laughs> should have given me a heads up for this. I do remember. I've got, I've got such a bad memory, even, you know, for things that happened last week, let alone when I was a kid. I remember, I don't think I was a pre-teen, but I was pretty young. My brother and I, we used to take our dad's work car from the SEC, we lived down in, the, in Latrobe Valley. We used to take it out in the paddock <laughs> and, and my brother would give me driving lessons well before I needed driving lessons or or could even get a license but um yeah we used to do that when he was away not at work and i remember we he we knew he was coming home once and we were just hosing off all the cow shit from the side of this car when he came in the driveway and he said oh oh boys thanks for cleaning my car for me good on you <laughs> let's get pizza for tea I'm like, oh yeah thanks dad yeah we did it out of the kindness of our hearts you little shits you got rewarded for no, that god no, there was a lot of shit on the contrary yeah naughty uh now what scares you the most creatively clearly it's not being in your jocks on national tv because been there done that been there done that in a bikini yeah um music theater really? hands down yep i'm absolutely petrified um at this gig coming up especially now i just it's, i haven't sung for a long time and i feel just sort of physically not even like not match fit but just a bit like my health is going to let me down so I'm, I'm shit scared but i always have been i'm not i'm not a singer i, I have a terrible pitch um, yeah. That's why I do try and do a lot of song time because it's you know more active. Um, you know, even the melody follows a sort of natural emotional path for me. But yeah, music theatre. But you're you're also an artist, and every artist is unsure about themselves and unsatisfied and all that jazz. So that's part and parcel with it, I think. Yeah, but other other things I would just jump in. If it was a straight play, I'd jump right in there. Anything else, I would absolutely jump in. Just in yeah, music theatre. And I think that's why I stopped doing it. When I was young, I really wanted to be in music theatre. Like, that was my, my dream. And then I sort of started getting into it a bit more as an adult. And it's just hard work, man. Like, for those kids, let's just call them kids because they're amazing and have the energy of it. It's, it, you know, it's such a, such a, an amazing skill set to maintain. I just didn't. I'm lazy, man. I don't have the constitution to keep up all the dancing lessons and singing lessons. Uh, and, and what's required of, you know, these sort of modern 
musicals, it's exceptional. <laughs> you know, the, the vocal quality and the fact that these, you know, these new musicals, the the stars have to, the chorus has to, everyone has to, you know, sing like a, you know, like a superstar, dance like you're on Strictly Ballroom and act, you know, and have some great characters and things. And these, I'm going to call them kids again, these kids have it in spades. And I think that's amazing. I'm just, I'm just not that anymore. <laughs> unfortunately i think it's a real special gift and i wish we paid uh you know performers uh, commensurate to the incredible skill yes paying actors more and getting more recordings from australian casts would be great yes please yes but yeah anyways i haven't actually seen you perform other than hosting and tv work oh thank god for that well I'll be the judge of that. Thank you very much. When I get a ticket to opening night. <clears throat> <laughs> Is there a lot of dancing dancing up your sleeve in midnight? Do you know? I don't know. I don't know yet. I was part of their development about a year ago, I think. We just got cut off by lockdown, so whenever that was, 2020. And none of the characters I was performing in that are the ones that they've given me this time. So I'm a little bit worried. And and from memory, the characters they've given me this time are they're, they're quite high singers, man. And that's not that's not in me. But um but Spencer and the team seem to be fine with that and said, No, no, you're right, mate. You'll be fine. <laughs> You'll find it. You'll find it. <laughs> we'll see. It's a great, great team though. So, you know, if I'm going to go in and fail in front of any team, it's, I couldn't have picked a nicer bunch of people. Isn't Kate Miller-Heitke? Yeah, she's, she's contributed to it. Um, John Foreman and Anthony Costanza are the, are the two composers. They're both absolutely hands down brilliant composers um, and very different. And you can always tell when you're singing an Anthony song or a, or a John song, but they work so well together as, as a piece in this show. Oh, wow. Yeah. I love John Foreman. Mm. He, isn't he like... 45 like he is still so young and he looks <laughs> the same that he looked 30 friggin years ago when he was on the burt newton show he's got big twink energy yeah <laughs> <laughs> maybe we should cut that out i don't know about that. <laughs> maybe i'm sure he'd love that <laughs> yeah but there is either a photo or a video of you online on the oh, burt hell. newton show in the funniest yeah, costume, that... which I will ask about, what's the worst costume have been forced to wear so far? I feel like you want me to say the gold bikini from Ben Elton, but I don't know, that was pretty fun. <laughs> you loved it. You loved that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it's never, you know, because I've done a lot of a lot of shit work. Like I, my first performing gigs were with Disney, you know, in suit work, dancing on an outdoor stage in Singapore wearing a goofy suit. So <laughs> I've had some pretty off uh, costumes to wear but really you know what it is it's the costumes that are meant to fit well but just don't so it doesn't have to be necessarily you know dressed as a female wrestler or whatever it was or you know a big novelty costume just stuff that should be fine everyday wear that just doesn't fit and you know it's going to split if you try and oh my god there's the answer actually so <laughs> <laughs> here we go so i worked on a i've worked on a couple of cruise ships and i worked on a, on a p and o one uh it was myself and myself and christy whelan with the, the lead vocal hilarious oh. our opening a number like we had like a welcome aboard show we had to wear these whatever material it was it was unbreathable white like cargo pants that were just slightly too short and a skin tight lycra top and i you know i wasn't as fat as i am now but still it just made no one looked good in it no one felt good in it there was one night where um Christy took the night off. She was feeling really sick, but she still came and saw this Welcome Aboard show. And because I didn't have to split Santa that night, and it was a Ricky Martin song, I was just throwing it up. I was doing a high kick. So I was pretending I was Ricky. It was so fun, uh, except these pants weren't made for that, for my high kicks. And so I, I split the decks. And I'm not saying like a little hole in, in my bum, but like from tube to coccyx, absolutely ripped these pants apart, absolutely straight out of the gusset when I was doing my Ricky Martin number. And I still had like three minutes of song to go and just took together my hands with my feet together 
and did a lot of gesticulation with my arms, thinking, don't look at my balls that are possibly hanging out, because all I had was a dance ball underneath. <laughs> now I know what she bangs means, as in she bangs oh, back and forth oh, against your legs. <laughs> she wangs. <laughs> Except it wasn't she bangs. The song was called We Cruise to the tune of She Bangs because cruise ships are tacky like that. We cruise, we cruise. Dun, dun, exactly dun. that. Matt. Awesome. <laughs> My favourite lyrics were, um, we rock as we dock and we dock when we rock. Uh, what? <laughs> saucy. Very saucy. Yeah. I don't want to know. I do actually love cruising, though, but you're right. The shows on there are pretty t- <laughs> Like, I know the performers are doing their best, but it's the material they're given is not always the best. L- leave a bit of your dignity. Yeah. I had to dress up like a leprechaun, you know, for our Around the World show when I was on a cruise ship, and that's one of the <laughs> one of the costumes I've always been like, what? <laughs> Oh, wonderful. I think mine would have to be my first one because we were dressed up as cats doing skimble shanks in our review. And we start, I've st- I talked about it. Actually, I cut it out of last week's episode. We started off in the audience and it was awful. And I'm just traumatizing. Never lived to death. I'm traumatized. You thought the cats movie was bad, people. You did not say this in <laughs> 1995. Anyways, next question. We're going to move on very quickly. That, we've moved, that, that one. There's a lot of talk about gays playing gay and straights playing straight. Where do you stand on this issue? For me personally, growing up, I always wanted to play the Phantom, but I'd have people say to me, but you're too gay to play the Phantom or you're too girly to play the Phantom. You, you could never do that. But that's not, you're not sort of thinking of all the, you know, the Phantom's straight. So it has to be played by a straight person. That was, I wanted to play that character to in, inhabit that. So where do you stand? Because you've played a lot of roles that aren't you, very much so in real life. Yeah, I I don't know whether it's a big thing in theatre or music theatre as much as it was, and not even now, so as much as it was a couple of years ago, more on film. And I think think it really just comes back to that old, you know, is this person taking this role, taking that opportunity away from someone who is not just better suited, but maybe has a lived experience and hasn't had the opportunity to to portray themselves? I think in theatre it happens, but it's less... There's less concern about gay people playing straight and straight people playing gay because, you know what, there's enough gays in the theatre world. We own the theatre, kids. Exactly. Yeah, we're not exactly a minority in the theatre. In fact, you know, I I can't even claim being queer as any sort of, you know, funding leverage now when I'm applying for things. It's like, (laughs) yeah, you poofs are a dime a dozen. You're fine. You don't need anything. You need me. I've got the disabled tag as well to go (laughs) with the gay tag. Yeah, which which is where it is now. It's like it, like what happened at, at Malthouse a couple of years ago when not the musical when they did the Elephant Man play, mm-hmm. and who was cast originally, and they pulled out to say no, I, I don't have this lived experience. I will not play this character, and so they they ended up giving it to to a disabled actor. I wish I could I wish I could remember everyone's names, but I can't. Um, like you're an actor, you signed up to play parts that aren't you. I don't get it myself, but. Yeah, I, that's the other side of the argument, I guess. But yeah. um, when it when it comes to you know historically misunderrepresented people, then I absolutely understand you've got to make way for those people because you know this guy isn't about to do a big high kick number in a music theatre show because they they can't, no matter how well trained they might be in in these other areas. So so why should they see you know a, a, an able bodied actor take away a part that they would really suit and can speak to it you know from the inside. Yeah, look, I, I get that. And I the, the lived experience thing, I think, personally, is a tiny bit overrated when you're talking about a show that may last three weeks. Like, it's not definitive. Yeah. There's going to be another show and another show and thousands more shows over a certain amount of time. There are 
plenty of theaters out there kids like if, if i'm ever to get a, a biopic made of my life i want to be able to pick the person that i feel inhabits my spirit not has lived my life does that make sense mm-hmm. you know and and that's why i think this does need discussing not just yelling and that's what we get at the moment is yelling we get oh my god you cast this person you should have cast this other person or you know someone with the lived experience that doesn't make them a better actor though at the end of the day we need to trust artists we need to trust the directors and the writers who have a vision for what they're saying and when they have a vision for a person in a role we should trust that a little bit more there are times yes i agree casting you know a white person in a an asian character maybe let's not do that but we're not talk- necessarily talking about painting our faces here a rainbow color to play a gay character so it, it does trigger me a little bit because I think of that little boy that I was being told, you will never play the Phantom. You couldn't play the Phantom. You shouldn't play the Phantom. That's what we're saying to people now. You can't play this character because you're this thing. I think it's it's the antithesis of art. But this is my opinion. This is your interview. Oh, shut up. Well, no, no. I think that's a really good opinion. And it sort of demonstrates, doesn't it, that there's no group, any particular group that is um, has homogeny in their thinking. You know, within that group, within differently able group uh, people, you, there's going to be this difference of opinion. And people saying, "Yeah, we should get all those roles because the the character's disabled." And people saying, "No, no, if they portray it well, then fine." The last show I, sorry, two shows ago that I directed. This is back to the, the sort of queer theme, though. Is, um, you know, it's it's two gay guys. The AFL show. Um, the characters are both gay, but in the first season, I don't, I'm not even asking actors when they come in what their sexual orientation is. If yeah. you can portray that character on page, uh, put it on stage for me, then then great. Yeah. And I sort of might find out during this. So we ended up having like two two straight or one straight and one question mark. But I, again, I don't care because there was, you know, it's a, it's a gay writer, gay director, um, gay creative team, um, half gay creative team. So I sort of felt like that's, that's enough. There's enough voices in the room that can speak to the themes of this work. It's not just a bunch of footy players going, oh, I don't know. <laughs> how does this guy is it like picking up chicks or what you know, you know you've got cut that out that was terrible no you're gonna leave <laughs> it in because it was embarrassing <laughs> you've got that lived experience in the room that representation of that voice if that's in the room then i think you're right you don't necessarily need to cast exactly like the characters but you need to have that um the voices and the um you know the consultancy stage which i hate that word but we, we have at the moment an overabundance of information on people right and so it's given everyone a right to know what's people's personal thing and I think when someone walks into your audition room what their personal life is not your business Mm. it's not my business it's not the audience's business at all but what we're doing is we're putting actors in a position now if they see a role that they really want to take on if they're not openly gay they then feel like they have to come out of the closet in order to qualify for that role fuck off why are you pushing people out of the closet over what is essentially just a play or a musical or something. It's not definitive. It's going to be gone in a month or two months or a couple of years, however long it lasts. Like, I I just think it's not fair on artists because, I mean, there is art and there is entertainment here. It's all art. It is only entertainment because we're entertained by it. If we're not there to be entertained by it, it is still art. I just, I yeah, I'm, I'm pro artist. But yeah, so Matt, what's, what's your opinion on this 
before I get too passionate. Yeah, no, I've been being very quiet, as you've noticed. Um, yeah. yeah, again, like, I mean, I feel like my voice has been um, in this discussion for a long time and that I'm sort of stepping aside and giving um, other people voices. Although I can say as a queer actor, when I did a show called Smiley, which was then made, well, by Guillaume Clua, we did an English adaptation of it. And then it was, um, it's a Netflix series, if you haven't seen it yet. And it was really a pleasure to have two gay actors and a gay director um, working on it. There were just three of us on the creative team. And I'm not counting, um, you know, the stage manager and everybody else who um, who were not from the queer community, but were very much allies. But there was a freedom of just being able to explore all of those things without having to be ashamed of saying, because it was a very sex positive show as well, without having, you know, without having to try to explain to somebody from outside of the community, oh, well, you know, with Grindr, this happens and all that sort of stuff. So, uh, yeah, so I did find a lot of comfort in that. So, yeah, from my straight own experience. Men, no. Trust me, straight men know what is going on on Grindr and Scribe. I, I, think, you might be, I, think, I think you might be right. <laughs> yeah, so so I do find comfort um, when I'm in that situation. Um, but, yeah, that's that's my two cents. But if you go for a role that's a, a straight married man and you get told no because you're gay, I think that's an affront to you as an artist personally. So I rarely, I rarely get told no. I'm. It's oh, yeah. People don't. People don't. Oh, look at us, aren't we? Oh, <laughs> high and mighty. No, no. I mean, people don't perceive me. Um, I, I don't fit. I don't fit uh, like people's easy stereotype of what, um, of what a gay man is. And a lot of that does have to do with my lived experience. You know, I'm married. I've been with my partner for. 23 years we've adopted and raised two kids so you know so a lot of um my lived experience is paralleled to a lot of uh straight men of my age yeah. um and so it's not a huge stretch for me to try to imagine what that is yeah um but but then i always slightly queer all of those um parts so maybe he has a secret maybe he's going on grinder in the evenings <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was you the other night. No, no I'm kidding. No, I wasn't on Grinder the other night. Trust me, not doing this fucking show. God, I don't have time for it. Uh, but anyway, so we'll, we'll move on from the seriousness. When was the last time you rolled down a hill? Deliberately or, or for fun? <laughs> <laughs> Probably four years ago. So not not a child. Yeah, I know. I did it about four years ago, 20, 2019 in New Zealand. Ouch. It hurt. It really, really hurt. Yeah. It was just me rolling down and go, ow, ow, ow. It was just my spine, mostly. Like, that's <laughs> what it was. And then, like, everything in my pockets. But, yeah. My sciatica. Uh, oi. Exactly. Let's relieve my youth for a few seconds. And then it's just like, no, you're an old fat pog. Just stop trying to do this. <laughs> just take the stairs like everyone else. <laughs> yeah. But it was fun when I wasn't hurting. So for that, like, half a second, it took me to get over to the other side. Yeah. <laughs> so every sort of 355 degrees was hilarious and fun. Yes. Oh, it was <laughs> And then, ouch. Ouch. Yeah. And my, my best friends, like, laughing their heads off at me. And, like, why are you doing it, you fucking idiot? And I'm like, because it's fouch. Fouch. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, what's your worst earworm song that gets stuck in your head? Oh, I'm supposed to ask this first so it gets stuck in all our heads. Throughout the episode, oh, I, I, the worst—I don't know any, anything by Taylor Swift. I, I'm sorry, it's contentious, but I can't stand her. Yeah, we should have been ranting this morning. <laughs> She's boring. <laughs> Anyways, don't go after Tay. Yeah, I'm cutting that out from me because I'm not having people come after me. They can go after Lyle for saying that. 
you bitch. <laughs> <laughs> They're just going to hear me say that, mind you. They're going to know I said something. I, I want the, not, not the director's cut. I want the, the guest cut of this podcast okay. release, please. All right, I'll leave it in there. Fine. <laughs> How about this one? Wheels of fire. That's a good, it's a good earworm. I think, no, I think it's maybe why I liked it. I thought you were singing Rolling Down the Road. Nah, 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 next of Rolling kin. down the road. Oh, this world shall explode. What's that? Absolutely fabulous. Oh, Ab fab. <laughs> the Ab fab theme. Yes. <laughs> Anyways, I don't know why the AbFab song came to my head then. Um, that's just what I heard when I heard Wheels on Fire. Now, Matt, have you got any questions? Oh, goodness. You always, I, I'm never prepared for this. Never. Yes, you're in this. show oh, business, know, kid. That's come on, the last page you got to do it. Come on. We're live. All right. Who are, you, who, who are you going for in Eurovision this year? Oh, yes, because it is coming up. Australia. No, yeah, no one ever goes for Australia. Uh, I don't know. Metal band this year. Oh, okay. Yeah, Voyager. Come on. Yes. I, I hold my judgment until I see the, you know, the semifinal. Yeah, true. I don't really follow it until then. It's funny. Yeah, I like I like to make a bit of a thing, a bit of a weekend of it, but um, but don't sort of follow it before then. I think we need to go away this year. Adam and I were talking about like finding a B and B somewhere just to stay and watch Eurovision, <laughs> like a bit of a weekend away. I don't know whether they're going to get dressed up or not, but um, I love the idea. There's something kind of tacky about Eurovision, something you know a bit a bit cheesy that I like leaning into. But also when you're doing that, you listen to these artists and you think, actually, you, most of you are pretty fucking amazing. <laughs> there have been some success stories that have come out of Eurovision in the past. Oh, yeah. But even when they don't, you think, oh, yeah, you're, you're incredible, incredible artistry. Yeah, no, I, I love it. I like, well, with all the shows I watch, I like, you know, cook a meal or whatnot. I, I literally don't watch something unless I've got a meal to go with it because I feel like I'm wasting a meal. Or if I watch a show without a meal, I'm wasting a show. Like, it's the stupidest thing. I need a boyfriend, clearly. Um, but for Eurovision, it's like five o'clock in the morning and I'm cooking a steak or, you know, roast chicken pieces and chips and stuff like that or fried chicken or pizza or something, like really extravagant. <laughs> Anyways, you have been an amazing guest. Thank you so much. It's taken a while to get you on here. I know you were hesitant. For the people at home, he fought me on this for months. He did he was terrified. <laughs> Couldn't say fight. Absolutely terrified, but I kept saying to him, it's just like bottoming for the first time. Just relax. And it goes in easy. Oh, oh dear. <laughs> We're definitely keeping that in. Oh, you're right. I mean, today, yeah, no, all the blood's really helped lube me up today. So thank you. Um, I'm sorry. I was going to say something really gross, so you had to cut this section. <laughs> yes, no. No, I'll leave it. I embarrass myself all the time on this show. Yeah. So anyways, where can people find you on the social medias? Uh, uh, at Lyle Brooks. Yeah. Or oh, another case line word. Um, on, on everything, I think. Or um, at Lab Kelpie is the yeah. company. I, we probably do a lot more on Lab Kelpie than I do. Oh, my God. You just reminded me. I need to update my website. We still probably has a little landing page that says under construction from 2017. So uh, <laughs> time to update that. Yep. You can find me. Yep. And people will find you at midnight in midnight. So um, just quickly, and that's a, a sort of a Cinderella story that you've never heard before type thing, I believe. It's, it's a re-look at it. I mean, yeah. there's not going to be anything that makes you drop your popcorn in terms of new interpretations, but it's just a... You're selling a show, Lyle. Yeah, start over, start over. It is going to be something that's going to make you look twice and drop your popcorn. <laughs> I, I don't want to say turn up and it's you know it's set in the you know Russian Revolution or something. It's it's not. It's 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 the fairy tale, but it's yeah, it's it's sassy. 
it's new. It's it's just really well. It's really well constructed. Um, but it, it's a lot of fun, uh, and it's very family friendly. Yeah, it, it's it's beautiful music. It can be beautiful costumes. I'm not sure how they're going to make the magic effects work, but that's not my problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be great. It's going to be a really really fun, lovely show to bring everyone to. What what's going to happen is Cinderella's going to duck behind a table. And then she's going to pop up as a totally different character. That's the magic of the theatre. Wow. How did they do that? Oh, my God. <laughs> I am shit scared. It was the worst audition I've ever done in my life, to be honest with you. And you, you still got the part. Well, I think because I know them and I did the development. But, yeah, it was terrible. And I almost didn't go. I put up on the side of the highway and said, I can't. I'm too anxious. I can't do this. Sorry. And then pulled my shit together in sort of. 20 minutes and winning. I think that before every one of these recordings. Do you? And I hear Alison Frazier's voice in my head singing, <laughs> don't be disgusting, be yourself. <laughs> that is literally before I sit down, the last thing I hear, which is funny because she was our first guest, but that's from In Trousers. Because mm-hmm. I don't want to fuck this up. You know, I, I, my sense of humor is sassy and I'm going to be throwing things in. What if I say the wrong thing? Comedy doesn't always <laughs> land, but no, I, I I get it. I do. I get it because you're a performer and you're an artist. Yeah. You want to control what goes out there. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. But you also, you want to give your best. You want to do your best every time. And that's just, we're all vulnerable. The only people who aren't mm. vulnerable are these TikTokers that turn on the camera and go, oh, this is my opinion and give me fucking a million followers. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us how you really feel about TikTok. Oh, God, I I rant about it on this show. (laughs) A lot. I'm going to get sued by them, no doubt. And and you're playing the villain, I believe, or a villainous character. A villainous character, I think. Again, I'm not not sure what they've given me. (laughs) But, yeah, you know, one one of the antagonists anyway. And I'm covering a few others. I think it's one of those double tracks where I play the the baddie here and the, you know, the friendly one in the second half or something. Oh, the fairy godmother. Oh, oh, I hope so. Vibes. Yes, with a corset. Give you an hourglass silhouette. Oh, yeah, I'll be cinched for days. Don't worry. Big train and the dress. (laughs) Oh, I can't wait. That's just me turning up to the theatre. Oh, awesome. (laughs) Get you through the stage door. Picks or it doesn't happen. Anyway. <laughs> so, okay, no, if you're in Melbourne, what's the website? Look below for the details. I think it's midnightmusical.com.au, I believe. So, yeah, I believe so. Yeah, and that's premiering in... End of June. I think we open around the 21st time-ish with previews and, and opening. And it only runs for about a month month and a bit. So it's, it's sort of a short pilot run, I think, this time, just to see what the response is and... Um, they'll bring it back again another time. Awesome. Yeah, so if you're in Melbourne, go get tickets to that and you can find Matt and his podcast at The Story Chunder and at Matt Young Actor on Twitter and Instagram. Find us at Thrush and Treasure or at Thrush and Treasure Podcast or if you're stupid enough than me, at As Aware. Don't know why you'd want to. And also while we're on Cinderella, a huge tookers and lots of love to David Zippel for opening night, which is in a few hours of this episode dropping. Very excited. Awesome to see you back on Broadway. And please hurry up and bring it to Melbourne. But if you're in New York, check below for the ticket details. There's going to be lots of details, lots of ticket stuff, two Cinderella's. So I'll make sure it's all labelled very clearly. Uh, anyways... Buy the Toniston Tales, read the Toniston Tales, let me know how shit they were, because, you know, I wrote them. Please just buy them. Uh, It will help our show stay on air, because it is very costly to run. But anyways, that's it from us. You take care, and we shall see you next time. Yay! Hooroo! Awesome. Well done.
Sorry, that was my spigot. 